Hello, everyone, and welcome to Staying Connected, the podcast series produced by the German Embassy in London. My name is Rosie Goldsmith. I'm a journalist. Uh, I was 20 years with the BBC. and I'm now director of the European Literature Network and editor-in-chief of the Riverton magazine of European Literature. I'm also a Germanist and lived many years in Germany, uh, all of which led me to meeting our guest today, way back when, Axel Schaeffler. Welcome, Axel. Hello. As always, it's really good to see you. Um, now, before I let you get a word in, <laughs> I just want to give a brief introduction to you so we can get that out the way. Um, if there's anyone in this world listening who does not know who you are. So Axel Scheffler is what we call in Britain, quite simply, a national treasure. <laughs> yes, I feel that. Lots of people feel that. We're very proud to have you as a British citizen as well and a German citizen. In spite of the fact that you've lived here 40 years, sadly, we can't own him completely. Uh, he was born in Germany, and thanks to his illustrations and picture books, he's treasured all over the world. His best-known books, as you know, are in collaboration with Julia Donaldson, and together they've been nicknamed, and I really love this, the, the John Lennon and Paul McCartney of children's books. And dare I say, one of the most successful Anglo-German joint ventures ever. Now, in fact, not since Roald Dahl and Quentin Blake have a writer and illustrator been so perfectly matched with Julia's brilliant rhyming couplets and Axel's distinctive pictures. Their collaborations, and I hardly need to say this, include The Snail and the Whale, Room on the Broom, Stickman, Zog, many, many more, and da-da, The Gruffalo, which has sold over 13 and a half million copies. And their latest books are The Baddies and The Smeds and The Smooths. Hi, Axel. Is there anywhere else for the Gruffalo to go? Any more adventures? Anything? Surely he's been everywhere, done everything. I would agree, yes. I'd sometimes say to my publisher I would do the death of the Gruffalo, but they obviously don't want to do that. And I don't think it would be very popular. So I think, no, the Gruffalo, and we've done the Gruffalo's child as a as a sequel but i think the gruffalo is now yes so the gruffalo stories are grandchild i don't think there are any plans and it's always <laughs> up to julia what she writes so i'm just following her but i think there are no plans to to extend the gruffalo family at the moment it has um extended though into a huge kind of world of merchandise and other media um opera theater film uh, stamps. And I think there's, there's even a theme park, isn't there? There's not a theme park, but there's a ride in Chessington. There's a Gruffalo ride and there's a Room on the Broom experience and there's something opening this year in Blackpool, a kind of Gruffalo and Friends experience. But I'm obviously not involved in that. That's other people who are doing these things. <laughs> now, we've got, to, we've got to discuss this and I know you've talked about this many, many times, but I do want you to tell us here again how did you come up with the Gruffalo? Now, the first book was published in 1999, and next year it'll be 25 years of the Gruffalo. Um, can you remember those very first drawings, ideas, discussions you had with Julia and publisher? Well, the thing is, I didn't come up with the Gruffalo at all. It was Julia's idea, and she wrote the text first, and she came up with it because she was adapting a Chinese folktale into something else in her wonderful rhyming style. Um, so she described the Gruffalo. She came, she came 
to the to the word Gruffalo because nothing rhymes with tiger, I think in the original story. It was a tiger and she couldn't find a rhyming word with tiger in English. And then she wanted this expression of um, surprise when the mouse finally meets the creature that the mouse thought he had dreamed up and invented. So the O was there, then the gruff, because he's he's a gruff, a gruff, gruffy person, whatever the word is. And yes, and then the text came to me and the Gruffalo was partly described in the story, obviously. I had, he had to have knobbly knees and purple prickles and black tongue, so I knew that I had to draw all that. But the overall shape of the Gruffalo was kind of my, my idea, and I think Julia maybe had different ideas what he should look like, but for me, Gruffalo sounds like buffalo. He needed to have horns, he needed to be furry, he needed to have a tail. And I started sketching, and the first initial sketches were a bit too scary, my editor said, so I had to make him a little bit more friendly and cuddly and then he was there. Has he changed much in the nearly 25 years? I mean, does he look any different today? No, the, the picture book is the picture book. And of course, if there's a play or a theatre adaption, he looks he looks different, But and, and the anima- animation as well. But the picture book is the picture book and that hasn't changed at all and won't change. As I was saying, it's nearly 25 years uh, since the Gruffalo was invented. Um, And I'm just wondering, are you prepared for the vast media onslaught and publicity that will come next year? I mean, you've already been in the spotlight for a very long time. And I I know that you're not a particularly um, publicity-loving person, let's put it that way. (laughs) No, I think most illustrators are more introverted. Well, we're practicing this year because it's going to be 30 years of uh, Schaeffler Donaldson collaboration or Donaldson Schaeffler. And yeah, there will be there will be some events, but I think it won't be like daily fireworks next year for 25 years of Gruffalo. So I think I can cope with it. You might buy a new sweater, perhaps. Yeah, something to yes. celebrate. Yes, I could. <laughs> something more colourful than this. <laughs> <laughs> what is your favourite colour, by the way? Blue. Blue. Yeah. I think you know what Blue. mine is. Um, mine is red, red, and more red. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I don't think I don't think you like red, do you? No, it's fine. I need all the colours to do picture books, so they they're all they're all equal for me, really. <laughs> now, you are German, as we know. You hmm. lived in Britain for nearly forty years, but your books are published all over the world. Is it possible to say there's anything distinctively German or British about what you do? And then I want to ask you the same question about children's books as well. I mean, is there a, you know, looking back over German books and the German books you grew up with as a child, is there anything distinctive about German children's books? That's that's always a question I can't can't answer. I can't I can't define what's what's German or British about my work. It's just what it is. I, I, it's it's really hard for me to say where the influences are, or where where it came from. I mean, there were there were people who I admired when I started, kind of the teenager like Tommy Ungarer, who is Alsatian and half French German international. <laughs> um, I admired his work, and but it's I find it really hard to to find kind of find national characteristics of children's books. Or but obviously Britain has has a wonderful, big big uh, history of wonderful children's books, and I think Germany less so. But influences are really hard to pin down, so I can't answer that question. <laughs> Perhaps it's more that they're, I mean, children's books, especially because of illustrations, I think, and because of the um, the way they're written, they are universal from from the from the out, 
really. I think the Gruffalo is the best example how maybe for our globalized world, but also how stories like the Gruffalo appeal to children all over the world. I, I'm really kind of yeah surprised and, and struck by this this worldwide popularity. Wherever I go, the children read the Gruffalo and love the Gruffalo, and it seems to be like a universal, as you say, a universal hunger for certain stories. I mean, there's only certain number of subjects i mean this is like a sort of david and goliath story the little little one outwits the mighty threatening creature and maybe that's that's a good universal your message stories, yeah do your stories have messages yeah i, I use that word now that julia donaldson doesn't like very much i think well i'm not i'm not in charge of the story so that's entirely julia's work to to come up with a story and invent a narrative and then I do the but illustrations. You, you have to like the story. You I have to like the story and I like the way that Julia's messages are very subtle. The stories are about solidarity, about somebody getting lost and found again and they are very universal themes but she's never, she has a very subtle and very entertaining way of, of um, putting those messages across although she, as I said, she doesn't like the word message at all. But I think there, there's a, there's a essentially humanist message in all in all her books and I, I like that and I'm happy to work with her on these stories. There are lots of changes in children's books today um, and two I'd like to ask you about and one is the um, the celebrity author you know of children's books. Are these celebrity authors any good? I think I think it entirely depends on the individual talent of, of a writer. I think celebrity itself is not enough to, to write a good children's books, but I can think of, I mean, I've just done a book with somebody who is very famous and a famous actress, but I think she's also a brilliant writer, Emma Thompson, and I wouldn't count her in that category. She's a, she's a very serious children's author and, and very good at it. And I think there are many who are just celebrities and maybe they sh shouldn't write children's books or illustrate them. <laughs> And the other pressure which we read about so much now, not just in children's books, but in, you know, all writing, is the pressure on creators of children's books, adult books, to represent diversity, to be inclusive. Do you and Julia feel that in your stories or in your in your illustrations? Yes, we do. And obviously publishers are now very, very aware of the of the the need of inclusion and diversity in children's books. And I think essentially that's a good thing, um, but it shouldn't be overdone. It needs to be treated in a balanced way. And when I was asked to, when I illustrated The Baddies, it was the first time that the publisher said, can, can this be a brown-skinned heroine, the, the girl in the story? And I was happy to do that because I think, yeah, there's, there's a point there. But of course, you can't do every book with a child with a hearing aid or a wheelchair it has to it has to fit into the story as well so if there's a story that's set in present-day Britain a picture book I think that inclusion is very important. So Axel you've illustrated hundreds of books um, do you ever write your own children's books? No I'm not I'm not capable of writing I think it's a very yeah very very different process and I'm, I'm not good in inventing stories a plot a narrative and I've done it once or twice, but only very marginally. So I'm always relying on, on a good author. And do you 
illustrate books outside the UK in, in Germany and in other countries? I know you have done in the past. Yeah, there's always some some books that I do for German or French publishers directly, but mainly the picture books are done with UK publishers. And why do you think um, you've really adapted so well to UK life and to not just creatively, but as a person? You've been here a very long time. Yes, I've been in, I've been living in London rather than in the in the British countryside or. Um, and I think London is a place if it's very cosmopolitan and everybody comes from somewhere else and not everybody, but many people come from somewhere else and it's it's a good place to to live. I know for a fact, though, that when you first started living in the UK, you actually lived not too far away from where I live now, which is Wiltshire. And you went to um, the Bath Art Academy, which is in Corsham, also not very far away from where I am. In fact, I think I don't think everybody in Wiltshire knows that there should be Gruffalo plaques everywhere. But um, it, tell me about those early days and how you first came to this country. What made you you? I, I was I was born in Hamburg and lived in Hamburg for 25 years. I studied history of art without finishing the course. I didn't know what to do. I was not an academic. I did my alternative national service and then I. I didn't really know what I should do next. And I went to see a friend in Corsham who was doing the ceramics course on holiday. And I thought, why not apply at an art school in the UK? I, I liked the idea. I was still living with my parents. So it was high time to get out of, out of there. <laughs> and it was a good opportunity. The idea to, of living in another country came to me and learning a second language properly. My school English wasn't very good. And yeah, then I applied at art school and I came and I stayed. And Britain being a member of the European, it was probably not called the European Union then, but it made it very easy to come here. It was very unbureaucratic. It was cheap. I had a very small fee. I didn't get a grant, but I paid like 500 pounds where the overseas students had to pay I don't know, 10,000, so it was all affordable and easy. And so one of the great things of the European Union is that you can study, live in other countries. And I made, I took advantage of that and well, I'm still here. I moved to London afterwards because it was a good place to do illustration. And yes, 40 years on without ever planning to stay that long, um, I'm still here. Are you here to stay? I think it would be really hard to leave now after 40 years, but there are many things that worry me about the development in the UK that make it harder to to be here. And yeah, I wish I wish Brexit wouldn't have happened. And yes, it's, it's difficult to say, but I'm, I'm getting older and it's probably harder to move again. And well, I'm very, very rooted here, obviously, and it would be hard to leave and I can't, and I haven't got any plans. So, I mean, just to talk about Brexit and, and Europe, because that is something that you and I have shared. Um, we're both activists in our own way. Now, we're not politically active. In, we're not party political. And um, the whole time I was working for the BBC, which was 20 years I was there, um, I worked on foreign programmes. I'm a linguist. Um, and, you know, I see the importance of being part of Europe. Now, I'm not going around you know, banging drums and so on. But I do, in my own way, 
support European culture in Britain. Um, I run the only organization to support literature and translation, the European Literature Network, and publish a magazine of European literature. Now, I know these are all incredibly important things to you, to both of us. Um, what can we do in this situation now? I mean, Brexit has happened. Well, we, we all have to try to hope that there will be a, a, a change of mind and that the, the, the worst effects of Brexit can be repaired. Or I think, uh, yeah, it was a very silly thing to do, a stupid thing to do, Brexit. And I think the awareness that it was a big mistake is growing. If you read polls... And hopefully the politicians will pick up on that and there will be more voices saying we have to get closer again to Europe. And Would you describe yourself as um, politically active? Well, it depends how you define politics. I have very little means to be politically active. I'm not, I'm not in a party or anything and I, I go to vote and I did get a little bit involved in the, in the Brexit debate and that's probably political being political active. I'm supporting a charity that my partner is involved in to help ref refugees. I think that's another big issue where could more could be done, and especially this week there are horrible things happening in this country that doesn't make it more appealing. And yeah, so I am a little bit politically active, but not party political, as you said. And yes, I think with my... I, mean, I kind of wish... I could do more and be, but I'm I'm just a children's book illustrator who is kind of very popular in this country. But I I, I don't think I don't know how many people will listen to what I would have to say about anything. So I think they do, Axel. And I mean, you have when you do speak out or when you do commit to something publicly, people do listen to you. I, I know you're a very modest man, um, but it is a you have a, a superpower, if you like. Yeah, but I, I don't find it channeled to kind of reach people, I think. And... I think that's part of the problem now is there are so few channels for us to um, to turn to. I mean, we've left the Creative Europe program, which was an incredibly important cultural program for this country. And, you know, it's, it's very difficult to to think of how to continue this campaign. But, um, but we do. And, um, you know, we keep going. And, you know, I think the really important thing is just to show that Britain is part of Europe. I mean, it hasn't left Europe at all. It's yes, yes. No, it hasn't. Of course, it's part of Europe. And yeah, yeah. So we have so to emphasize that. Carry on uh, maybe, emphasizing. Maybe in, maybe in uh, our lifetime. You need to stick around in this country because they do need you to oh. create. <laughs> <laughs> they do. They do. You're very modest about all this. But. The other thing I wanted to ask you about um, is in how you're treated as a German in the UK. I mean, have you ever had any difficulties? Because Germany wasn't always as popular as it is. No. And I arrived at a time when there were still the, the newspaper headlines before each uh, football match about the past. And um, But personally, I've never been... I, I'm really impressed by the tolerance and friendliness of British people. I've never been attacked. I mean, I had a German number plate for a while and 
my partner then said behind behind my back they were making sort of gestures and but I've never been maybe once or twice in a pub that somebody made him a remark but that's not much in 40 years I have never been attacked or treated any in any different way and this I mean especially again we are we are in London and it's a very tolerant place I think so I think Britain has been really good to me as a foreigner which I'm not no longer. I've got my British passport now, so I can I always wave that if somebody says, what are you doing here? Go back, illustrate German <laughs> books in Germany. What are your links with Germany these days? Do you go back a lot? Do you have family there still? Yes, my siblings are there, many friends. I go to the book fairs and I do school visits and I do events. And yeah, no, I'm, I'm there four or five times a year. And yeah, the links the links are strong, and I listen to German radio and read German books and newspapers, media. Kannst noch Deutsch reden dann? Wir ja? können auch Deutsch reden, genau. Kannst so Deutsch links, reden. my links are very strong. <laughs> meine, meine Verbindung zu Deutschland sind sehr stark. Yeah. Now, are you able to gauge? Are you as popular in Germany as you are in Britain? Getting there, I think there was there was kind of slightly <laughs> slight. Um, no, I, I don't think I'm as popular anywhere in the world as, as in Britain, but many, many children and parents in Germany know, know the Gruffalo now. And yeah, I was in Italy at the Bologna Book Fair and did some signings and everybody seems to have the Gruffalo there. And it's, it's really quite incredible. And yeah, it makes me slightly dizzy to think how many children are reading these books. It is absolutely extraordinary. And um, it's really, I feel, one of the things I really feel sad about is that I grew up not you know not it was not quite the the generation of the gruffalo hmm. so gruffalo for me was always um just a book on a bookshelf it, you know it, it wasn't one of my children's yes books. and i feel quite sad about that but you know seeing um you know my niece and my nephew and and some other children reading it's i'm just so pr- i'm so proud of you axel i know that sounds like a really odd thing to say but it's kind of it's thrilling to see what's happened i think yes yes it is it's it's very humbling to see how many families are reading these books together and the influence it has yes it's it's amazing and that now it's the gruffalo has been around for 25 years so i meet i meet grown-ups who say it shows me how incredibly old i am now but i meet grown-ups and said how much it meant to them when they were children and and that's amazing absolutely and to read them as i do as a grown-up is also wonderful too and i think the way that i read them and look at all your books, not just the Gruffalo, is as somebody who um, is a great art lover. Um, you, as you probably know, I am an incredible fan of um, all visual arts and I do dabble a little myself. I've never dared to show you anything, but, um, but you, we've been to an exhibition together, which was fantastic. I remember that. Um, who are your favourite artists? In, in children's books or in general? Well, no, general I, I mean, it's interesting because you had a traditional arts background initially I mean I've seen some of your early works which are absolutely beautiful watercolors and sketches you know watercolors in fact of of Wiltshire countryside which I they're just gorgeous absolutely gorgeous and your your New York sketchbooks that that kind of thing you're a very you're a very well-trained traditional artist behind all the um the success you've had as an illustrator not sure about well trained. I, I never had a kind of academic <laughs> uh, education in drawing. I've, I, in didn't, case, I didn't think I learned. Talented, you know. Yes, I don't think I learned much. In, I, I feel very much like an, like a, very much like an autodidact. Um, 
I, I don't think I learned much at college. I um, hope my tutors are not listening, but <laughs> um, yes, yeah, so I, I think it's sort of self-taught what I've, or, or just by, by doing it, learning by doing and drawing. And I'm, I never see myself as a very skillful draftsman when I, when I do the books, but I think it's, obviously I've got to develop a style that is touching people. So I'm, I'm very lucky in that regard. How would you describe that style, your style? From an academic drawing point of view, it's there's lots of things that are completely wrong, perspectives and scale and hands and... But it is... I, I often think that my imperfections are something that make my style appealing. But I've obviously found a language to, to tell stories in picture books, so it's hard to, hard to describe. And it's obviously a slightly humorous approach to, to the world and drawing and... Mm. I don't think anything, anybody cares if anything's out of scale. I mean, they're so, they're so distinctive, and that's the that's the talent. I think even if you describe yourself as self-taught, well, what better way with art? I often hear that three-year-olds recognise my style, so that's probably the the biggest compliment. <laughs> they say, "Oh, this is by Axel Scheffler." When they can, if they can pronounce my name, but they many can now. Yes, <laughs> I think I think the country's been. Um, practicing a long time to prepare. Yes. <laughs> We've had many decades of you. Um, were you always drawing as a child? Was it something you loved? Yes. Did you, know I, you wanted to do this? I think there's no no illustrator who didn't start when when they were children. So yeah, of course I lo- like drawing. And if I look back over your previous sketches, your early work, and um, you know some of the illustrations you did um, as in your twenties. Or even even when you were a child, um, there is uh, there is definitely a style, and I think that is quite um, extraordinary. You've actually developed it all the way through these decades. It's still there. It's still very much still very recognisable. I think. I just if you if you think so, then okay. <laughs> I can't quite see you, that. You illustrated a book by now a very early book I remember is it Helen Cresswell. That was my first, very first book that I ever illustrated, The Pie Makers, with black and white illustrations with people with very pointy noses and chins. And <laughs> yeah, I mean, I know you don't actually draw people as much now, mostly animals. Maybe that's another reason for your success, to love hmm. this, this country's love of animals. Maybe. But back to that question of, you know, who are your favourite artists? You know, who, oh, who yes. inspired oh. you generally? Well, as I mentioned, Tommy Ungerer already, children's book yeah. artist, and and also satirist and sort of cartoonist, and there are other, yeah, more cartoon people like Edward Gorey and Sompi, and who I discovered when I was a teenager, and who really, who I really loved. But there's also, I mean, painters I would like, uh, Bruegel and uh, Vermeer I like. I'm actually got some tickets for the exhibition in Amsterdam, so we're gonna go there. Was very hard to get. I, my partner was yeah, spent days and days on the on the. I am so uh, envious yeah. um, to see that Vermeer exhibition. Mm. So he's one of my favourites, but not yeah. not only me, obviously, it's because it's so hard to get tickets. And yeah, the Holbein and yeah, there are many many yeah people in art history that I really admire and love. They're not particularly German or British. Or... No, I think it's quite international. My my outlook. <laughs> Yeah. Absolutely. 
I mean, it's it's interesting because there, there are so many amazing exhibitions at the moment. I, I mean, I just think of the ones I've been to in recent months. I've been to the Lucian Freud exhibition, Alice Neal. I mean, there are countless. And there's a wonderful um, After Impressionism exhibition at the National Gallery, which you must go to. Um, it's just we're living in a great world for art. Aren't we? It's a great time. Yes, especially in London, you have so many things on, on offer and so many chances to miss the exhibitions. <laughs> they go, oh, I've got months to go, and then I, suddenly it's over. But no, I do love, I do love the, what what London has to offer in, in this regard. And... Yes, well, and um, to be fair to the, all the other regions in this country, I mean, the Bath. Just yes, of course. Sorry. Yes. Bristol everywhere. Whole... <laughs> I'm do, I'm doing the BBC balance thing here, yes. which is. Um, <laughs> Which is justified because there is so much good art. That's true. And all over Europe and all over the world. Yes. And all over the world. (laughs) And, you know, that is a great way of continuing our, um, if you like, our love and our kind of soft activism in favour of Europe and, you know, continuing good German-British relations and things. We we do it in our own way through art. and. I hope so. I hope so. Yeah, well, you certainly do. Axel, it's just fantastic talking to you as always and look forward to the next time. And uh, thank you very, very much for doing this with us. And thank you to everyone listening to Staying Connected. Thank you. Thank you.